You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. I'd like to welcome our guest this week, Dan Corliss. He is a benefits advisor based in Las Vegas. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate being here. Good. Um, so you're helping mostly self-insured employers that are usually under 100, but can be larger than that. Um, tell us what kind of savings you're generating for these new customers when they switch from a um, traditional plan to one of your plans. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, first I want to clarify that you know we're helping groups that are that are fully insured, and we're helping make that transition from a fully insured health plan to a self-funded health plan. Now, there's there's a you know various factors you're looking at when when doing that, and you know you need to take um, you know various points of risk into account. Um, and we have a number of different solutions and ways to do that effectively um, while still delivering good rates, but. I would say we're saving anywhere from, on average, I would say 15 to 40% um, overall plan spend saving um, in the first year. And are you helping people around the country or just in, in Nevada? Um, all over the country. So um, I, have, I have partners that I work with. You know, we have agency partners and, and independent broker partners um, all over the country. Um, so we're doing business from literally West Coast to East Coast and, and everywhere in between. We have um, groups that are on the uh, right on the eastern seaboard and groups that are um, right on the west side in, in um, sunny Southern California um, and up the, the coast into Oregon and Washington as well. I dig into some of the, um, I saw you post about you created such savings that it was easier for you to, for the employer to fly in one of their employees to another city and give them a four-star hotel experience. Get their surgery or their birth, um, whatever their whatever their procedure was at the hospital in another city, and then fly them back, and it still made more economic sense for the employer. Tell me about how that works. Yeah, so we we do this quite often, um, and when I say we, I mean my partners and I, and um, it, it we come across this all the time where there's you know a very narrow market with you know some providers or health systems that are kind of have an oligopoly or a monopoly on the on the market. And they basically kind of set the prices. And my post was kind of referring to ski towns in particular, but you know it could really be any type of market where you know there's one or a few health systems that are you know that have just kind of driven up the price over the years. Um, if you don't have a Buka um, insurance plan, which is what they're used to, you know they're I mean they're just going to charge uh, extremely high rates for for surgeries. And in this case, it was an elective surgery. Uh, medically necessary elective. So the provider was wanting to charge over $40,000. Um, and that was including the facility fees, the, you know, the surgeon um, and the operating fees, and then also anesthesia. And you have, you know, implants and things as well that get factored into that cost. But 
at the end of the day, they were wanting to charge $42,000 for this surgery that anywhere else would cost under $15,000. So what we did is just say, hey, you know, let's give this member another option. And that option happened to be, we'll put you on a plane. Actually, you and your husband will put on a plane round trip. We'll send you to uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. We'll put you up in a resort for the whole week. Um, so we even put, you know, four days on the tail end of the surgery so that they could recover and kind of relax in Las Vegas, be by the pool, et cetera. Um, gave them a rental car, uh, a stipend for entertainment, you know, and everything included the surgery, the anesthesia, the travel, the lodging was still under $13,000. So, you know, it's just, and this is a rare case. This doesn't happen all the time where you're able to, um, you know, get somebody a surgery at that cost and still save the plan close to $30,000. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you and say this happens every month, but every once in a while this happens, typically we're saving somewhere near 10,000, you know, or 15,000 or even just a few thousand dollars when we do this. Um, but yeah, this was absolutely one of those cases where it was a huge success, not only for the plan, but the plan member got to spend a week in Las Vegas, like a fully paid vacation. Um, and the provider, you know, they're getting steered, uh, you know, they're getting steered patient members um, to their clinic where they provide a high quality, low cost service. Um, everyone wins. So do you, um, I know, so this is what we call medical tourism. Do you have some other tricks up your sleeve with pharmacy benefits or with uh, primary care on how you save a dollar for the employer? What is What are some strategies that you deploy there yeah you know we have tricks up our sleeve but you know it, probably not any tricks that um you know other, other folks out there aren't, aren't already doing as well but yeah pharmacy is a big one you know next to medical spend that's you know usually number two and um specialty uh drugs and name brand drugs obviously being the two um with the most fat to trim um when it comes to, to savings and you know, getting people uh, medications, access to medications and, and solutions actually that provide them that saving. So the, the I would say the two biggest uh, methods that we're using to get the most savings from pharmacy are one, um, taking an outbound approach to getting members on a uh, manufacturer copay assistance program or something of the sort that they might not have even known they had access to. So usually health plans aren't identifying members that, um, you know, meet a certain income level or in, in some cases um, don't even need to meet that criteria, but have access to some sort of rebate or a manufacturing assistance program. And, and, and essentially the manufacturer will eat a bunch of that cost and pass that savings to the plan, you know, and supply that drug for a much lower cost. And when I say much lower, um, I'm talking tens to even more thousands of dollars a year. Um, so uh, big dollar amounts, especially when you're talking about multiple members in a health plan that are on drugs like Humira um, and some, some of these other, you know, hepatitis C and HIV drugs that are coming out that are just absolutely enormous health plan costs. Um, so, so number one is manufacturer assistance, taking that outbound approach, calling the member after we have identified them to being on a high cost drug and saying, hey, Let's try to see if we can get you qualified. Um, number two would be uh, some of these Canadian RX programs um, that you might be familiar with. 
do you belong to a group of a study group or how are you identifying these such significant cost savings? Well, you know, like any um, advisor um, that's trying to do a good job in this industry, you know, you just, you keep your ears to the street, you know, you, you pay attention to what's going on out there. You, um, um, you just get information from other advisors. You know, I work with some of the best partners in the business and, and we work with some great uh, pharmacy consultants and, and uh, pharmacy benefit management outfits that they actually have these kind of methods already built in um, to what they're doing. Um, so it's embedded in their program. We don't really have to do much other than let the plan or the members know that they have access to this type of assistance. So I'm going to imagine when you walk in the door and you can save somebody 10 to 40%, they're almost always going to take you guys on. Yeah, we get that a lot. Actually, we have a couple of health plans that we manage now where in the beginning, they kind of, they were very cautious. They thought we were selling them snake oil and we're like, yeah, this just sounds too good to be true. But, you know, you were referred to us by so-and-so. So we, you know, this seems like it could be legit. Let's give it a shot. You know, kind of very cautious approach. But when they started seeing the savings and they got their, um, you know, a lot of the groups that we um, take self-funded, we do a level funding approach. So it looks and feels much like the previous fully insured health plan that they um, were on. But when they start seeing that, that monthly premium bill, they're just, you know, when they actually hold that in their hand, they're just like, I can't believe it. Like we're actually saving this much money. This is insane. And by the way, they're likely going to get, you know, a huge reserve at the end of the year um, because we've managed their health plan costs well. So on top of the monthly savings, they're likely going to have reserves as well at the end of the year. They can put that money back into uh, other things. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Why would anybody ever say no to this offer? Well, they're uneducated or they're scared. Um, one of the two. So you fear what you don't understand, right, Ron? So there's a lot of uh, status quo brokers out there and just a lot of mixed messaging around self-funding. And I actually try not to use the word self-funding anymore because, you know, people will automatically go, oh, I've heard of that before. Yeah, that's dangerous. That's scary. That's, you know, I've heard of people that have lost their business because of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, that's just not happening anymore these days. Uh, especially, you know, if you're if you're working with anyone that has an inkling of a clue what they're doing, um, you have cost controls in there. You have stop loss insurance. You have methods and 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 way of doing things to where things don't get out of hand. Yes, there's there's some risk exposure, but you're not, you know, you're we're not going to lose a business over this, um, and we're 99% of the time going to going to do a good job and get savings. You know, it's a multi-year approach. Um, so I would just say that. There's still a lot of information out there that is outdated, um, and and the methods, the uh, the resources that we have available to us today, the data, and the speed of that data, and how we're able to get in front of healthcare issues so quickly, um, you know that just wasn't available even even five years ago. So we've come a long way even just in the last couple of years, and it allows us to do these things with efficiency. Most small employers under 100 don't think of themselves as self-funded or self-insured. They're all self-funded, of course, because they're not laying the risk off of another insurance company. But do you see this as a gigantic marketplace that just is right for the picking? Yeah, because everyone overlooks the smaller employers, right? You know, everyone wants to be a big game hunter and they want to go out there and get the, the 500 or 1,000 life employer and, um, and chase 
you know, the same groups that every other broker or advisor is chasing. And, and that's great. You know, those folks need help too, but we're kind of focusing on the little guys that kind of get overlooked um, and, and probably have no idea the options that exist for them um, in the self-funding world. You know, they're, they're, the, the small group self-funding solutions that exist today from an underwriting perspective, from a plan vendor perspective, you know, cost containment um, are just as good, if not better than the solutions that are available for large groups like Walmart um, and those guys. So it's the whole notion of, oh, you have to be this big to get on this ride type of thing for self-funding does not exist anymore. Um, it just doesn't. You know, one of the famous sayings that everyone would say, you know, three, four, five years ago is you have to have at least 100 lives to self-fund. That's just not true anymore. So captive insurance is taking a bunch of small groups, um, pooling them together and captivating all that risk. So basically the risk is spread. So, you know, you take a bunch of small, you know, 20, 30 employee um, health plans, um, you know, you put those in a pool that adds up to a thousand, two thousand members. And basically that acts as a, you know, 1000 or 2000 life uh, health plan. You know, you're shopping for stop loss insurance based on that 2000 lives. You're, you're shopping everything else based on, you know, as if you had a 2000 member life group. So you're getting deeper discounts. You're spreading your risk across the larger population. Um, and it's, it's a very attractive solution in most cases. And also, usually when there's a captive management uh, entity in place, they're offering solutions for free or at a very discounted rate. So you can get like telehealth or wellness solutions, things like that for, um, you know, next to nothing. Would you say that the average captive employer who's with a captive has a lot more work to do now? And that the CFO or the CEO is going to think, oh, my God, I've got a lot of work to do if I take on this new idea. Is that a myth? It's not a myth, no. And actually, to be frank, um, it is more work. And, but it depends on what are, you a what are you able and willing to do um, to make your life more comfortable. So, you know, when you take on self-funding, you're taking on more responsibility. Um, you know, usually your, your advisor, so me and my partners or, or the third-party administrator that's administering the plan will help take a lot of that burden off the shoulders of the, of the employer, the health plan, um, the HR director, the CFO, whoever it is. And they'll try to get in front of things for you. They'll, they'll try to manage your legal risk, uh, your, your claims risk, and everything else. But, you know, there's, there's always that trade-off. So it, it does help to have somebody within that organization who has experience in managing a self-funded benefit plan. So whether that be like an HR director, um, another HR employee, uh, a CFO, um, it, it absolutely helps. Is it necessary? No. How do people reach you if they need to find you? Yeah, um, we have a website. It's uh, www.stimulus, the number four, business.com. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my cell phone number is also 971-276-8656. Or you can reach me on my email, uh, daniel at stimulusforbusiness.com. If you could fly a banner overhead, what would that say? I would say self-funding self is your savior. Do it now. All right. Well, Dana Corliss, thank you for um, 
reaching out to us and we'll uh, enjoy having you on the show again soon. And uh, thanks for all the insights. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. It was, a, it was a great time being here. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.